You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Breathing deep, opening our minds, and playing curly in Oklahoma. All this and more on today's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program is Your Ticket, a discussion with smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Today's guest is Reverend Nathan Albert, a professional actor turned ordained minister, author, and chaplain who is, in fact, the university chaplain in the Spiritual Life Center at the University of Lynchburg and sits on the board of directors for the Association for Chaplaincy and Spiritual Life in Higher Education. Reverend Albert is part of my Theater is for Everyone series, where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard, discuss their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. Reverend Albert is passionate about helping people to discover or rediscover the divine, see the spiritual in everything, and experience contemplative spirituality. Now, please keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds a little different. I'm super excited, so let's bring them on. Hi, Nathan, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket. Thank you, Sean. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled that you're here uh, on an interview. I think this is wonderful. Um, I, I had mentioned to you that I, I have never, ever interviewed a minister before. There we go. There we go. Right. This is the first for everything. That's right. <laughs> um, I do, uh, did want to mention that I, I interviewed a, an, an, a writer and actor named Dominique Salerno. She's on episode 30. If anybody wants to go back and listen to her, uh, who has, uh, she has degrees in religion and philosophy and, and drama as well. She wrote this great show called The Box Show that, um, was here for Fringe back when my husband David and I did our play at Fringe at the Flash, and uh, it's it's a really really nice episode. But you are here, so let's get to your episode. Sounds good. Let's start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about your background as an actor and your career in the ministry, please. Sure. Well, my name is Nathan Albert. I use he him pronouns. Uh, I'm currently working as a university chaplain at the University of Lynchburg. So kind of my role right now is to kind of help students and faculty and staff explore the spiritual dimensions of life, their personal well-being, kind of get an, uh, an expansive understanding of kind of interreligious aspects of life. Um, but I was always the theater kid. So, I mean, I grew up in the musical family. We used to sing at family gatherings. We'd break out into song nonstop. Um, and 
kind of my whole childhood was involved in the arts in some capacity. Uh, I think I, I tried out for, for cross country, I think for a day as a manager, like I wasn't even, I wasn't fit enough to even run. So I went out as a manager and I didn't even know how to work the stopwatch. Um, so my cross country career ended very quickly and I joined the musical instead. Um, but yeah, so theater was a huge part of my life and eventually decided to go against the advice of family and friends and pursue an undergraduate degree in musical theater performance. Um, did some training in London and then did a bunch of regional theater for, for a long time, um, all over the country, some theme park work, some Shakespeare work, some really, really bad theater in some, <laughs> in some regional theaters, you know how that is. Um, and eventually thought I, you know, in some ways I thought I would do that forever. Um, but there was like this weird voice in my head. I only heard it like once a year, um, that said, maybe I'd be a pastor one day, or maybe I would do something with religion. I mean, those were kind of my two passions, the arts and spirituality. Um, and eventually kind of what moved me more drastically into moving into a different field was I was on tour with the full Monty, uh, go given the full Monty every night. And, uh, in that time, I tore ligament in my knee, kept dancing on my torn ligament for probably too long, uh, and eventually had to drop out of, finish the tour, but dropped out of some other work that I had lined up. And in my process of having knee surgery and recovering, kind of those all the doors open for me to go to graduate school and to pursue a, a master's in divinity um, and start kind of working in the, the religious field. So... Um, Kind of a crazy turn of events, but um, it's been fun nonetheless. Wow. That reminds me of uh, being in high school. And somehow, for some reason, I thought that I would take metal shop. And uh, I just thought to myself, you know, I've, I've heard there's a drama department around here. This is in 10th grade. And I went and asked if I could transfer after two weeks of uh, working metals. And it was it was meant to be. Do you Do you feel like you're... Life has evolved and sort of a met to be it's it's destiny uh, type of way. That's a good question. You know, I, I I'm I think it definitely has unfolded differently than I thought um, in a lot of ways. But looking back, I also see how kind of every event prepared me for the next, whether I realized it or not at the time. Right, like looking back. 10 years ago, I could see, oh, this prepared me well for this, or um, this event really changed my thinking on that. So I, I see parts of that. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, were you raised in a religious household? I was, yeah. So uh, a Christian background, um, mostly a bunch of Lutherans. Um, we got some German and Italian in my family. So, um, some Catholics and mostly Lutherans. Um, so it was an aspect of my life. Um, I think for seasons, for some seasons, I went through kind of pretty fundamentalist church communities or groups of friends. And, and I always wrestled with theater and religion or arts and religion. Um, and right, like a lot of my, a lot of what I viewed about religion, it was impacted by my community in the artist and theater world. Um, and so it really kind of expanded my understanding of religion in a way that 
I don't think my church world was teaching me, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. It does. Um, one of the questions I had sent you in advance was um, to tell us about your development in the ministry while being a theater artist, which mm-hmm. you just you just touched on a little a little bit. I sure. would love for you to go into a little more detail if you'd be so. Absolutely. Wise. You know, I. Well, how where do I want to start? Um, you know, I think um, in the acting world, I found a community that was more accepting and loving and inclusive and diverse and embraced all people in a way that I had never experienced. Um, and I think in a lot of religious environments that I was in, whether that was my local church or, uh, you know, a college Bible study that I was a part of, there was always like restrictions on who could be a part of it or who could be the leader or, um, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, there was always strings attached, like loving with strings attached, right? There wasn't just unconditional love, but they, but it was like, oh, we love everyone. But if you really got down to it, it wasn't. And, you know, for me as a cisgendered heterosexual man in the theater, I had a plethora of people that, whether they were mentors, professors, roommates, castmates that were, that identified as part of the queer community. And so I found a lot of my, well, I I found this tension, right? That so much of my love for religion and exploring kind of the sacred aspects of life, it seemed like a lot of my queer friends didn't, didn't really want anything to do with that. Um, because they had been burned and shunned and ridiculed and hated for who they were. At the same time, it seemed like the religious world that I thought was like super inclusive and loving didn't want anything to do with my acting friends. It was like, well, they're gay. Um, as if that was a reason, you know, um, that that was the reason for not including them or whatever. And so there was this deep tension for me between those two things. Um, and I think, what I realized is that the way a religious community should be is actually what the queer community has become. And so the, they, the inclusiveness, the loving attitude, the, the, we embrace all just the, the vibe and, and ethos that is, that inclusive community because they were not allowed to do that in the church world. They made it themselves and made this great community. Um, and so I found for me a, a greater, a greater spirituality within the artist community than I often did within the church community. Um, and you know, when I eventually kind of left the theater or left that career, um, I had a lot of shame around it because I felt like I was entering into the world that had shunned and done damage and harm to so many of my friends in the theater world. And so I felt in some ways like a fraud going into, well, I'm, I'm going into the religious world and knowing that that world actually caused some great trauma to many of my friends and family members. Um, and since I've entered that world, it's also, it's also harmed me. Right. So, you know, we're all not alone in this, right? Like that world has actually harmed me in the ways of, um, power and privilege, um, 
and the ways that it has, um, yeah, the, the ways that it is tied to certain people are in and certain people are out. So, um, you know, I think now I'm in a setting and in a location, um, and really working to, to create spaces for inclusive spaces for marginalized populations, um, to help people understand that there's an expansive understanding of, of religion and spirituality more than kind of this constrictive, this is the way it has to be that there's, it's so much broader and bigger. Um, and in some ways, I mean, when I was acting, much of my work was creating, creating worlds for an audience that were bigger than they, than they thought, right. When they came into the theater, we created a world in which, audience members could lose themselves and dream and think larger. And I think in some capacities now as a chaplain at a university at a, in ministry, being a pastor, I want to create similar worlds where people can come in and, and see themselves in a bigger space, a, a larger understanding of whether that's the divine, whether that's their own identity, um, their own understanding of how the world functions, their meaning, their meaning and purpose in life. Um, I want to create a world for them that is larger than they've ever dreamt. Wow. That's, that's a, a sensational philosophy. And I, I think it, it kind of reminds me of, um, I had a therapist tell me that uh, she felt that spirituality and religion were on a continuum and <clears throat> it was what's best for you on this continuum um, to, to fit into y- you having your own spirituality, which is, as she's saying this to me, um, it, it, that's what should work. Um, and I, um, I, I'll just be honest with, with my background in, um, uh, faith. Uh, I'm, uh, been sober and clean for 32 years wow. and, it's great. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It just, it just feels like second nature to me anymore. But um, so you could probably immediately land on where, uh, where I am for spiritual um, uh, fulfillment. Um, I got a lot of it from attending 12 step meetings. Sure. Where one of the, uh, the, well, the two of the steps are came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him sure. or her step two and step three. So I, who was not raised religious had to, I know I think there's always a, a tremendous amount of reconciliation that we have to do around religion mm. and spirituality. What, what helps us and works best for us? Um, is, is that, do you find that as well? And do you accept that? Are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you were talking, I was reminded of a, a, a professor that I've read. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Emmanuel Larty, and he has this great philosophy on spirituality. And I actually like this term more than religion. But he says that spirituality for him is the flourishing of relationships in, in five main areas. Uh, relationship with the transcendent. And again, define that how you, how you might, how you want. So a flourishing relationship with the transcendent, a flourishing relationship with, oh, let me remember them, <laughs> with yourself, with community, with other individuals, and with space or things. And so 
I have found in my own spiritual journey, I mean, that I have come to a more expansive understanding. Yes, raised as a Christian, reading the Bible, but there are aspects of Buddhism, um, Sikhism, um, even Judaism and Islam that are so impactful to, to my spirituality and my understanding of the transcendent. And yet also noticing, right, like my relationship with myself, knowing how I really function deep, deep down inside of me, um, you know, working with a therapist and, and seeing how I function, how I don't function, things I need to work on, right? Like that, that flourishing relationship within myself with a community, whether that's a group of friends or family, um, with individuals, whether that's our spouse or our partner or a coworker. And then with things around us. I mean, I, um, in the last couple of years have a house. I've never owned a house before. And we have a backyard with a garden and a tree. Um, and there's something about that tree that I, I look at it every day and I love it. There's something about, I have this weird relationship with a random dogwood tree in my backyard and it brings me a lot of fulfillment in my daily life. So I think all those things, right? Like working to understand those things is all an aspect of spirituality. And that's going to look very different, right? Like right now behind you is New York city. It looks gorgeous, right? Like looking at that space, how do you flourish in that space? Um, out my window is the Blue Ridge mountains. So looking out that way, how, how do I flourish looking, looking at that, those things in that space? So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, it's m- way more when we speak of religion and spirituality, if we are focused inward, kind of like a triangle pointing, we're actually, I want to, I think we should invert that. So it's, you know, a a point towards us and it expands outward. Um, And that's what I love about this definition of spirituality that, yeah, for some of us, uh, a flourishing relationship with the transcendent is going to bring us so much meaning. And yet for others being, being aware of the land on which we live, right. That I live on Monacan land that, 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 that is occupied land and was taken from people like that has a meaning behind it. Um, My relationship with my kids and my wife and my family members those things help me flourish or sometimes they, they, right. They, they, they don't bring flourishment. Um, and so, and they all interact at times. Right. And probably if we reflect on our lives, we can see maybe we pour more into one area and then we move to another area. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of theater, like I think the theater actually lines up well with these five definitions of, of spirituality, right? Like the, the, what the what the beauty of theater is is it allows us to it allows us to think about those things it allows us it 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 shares stories about those aspects of spirituality Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, what about in, in general religion overall? Let's, let's think of that and how, like, like say if we're tracking any of the, uh, the, the religious, um, books like the Bible and, um, 
the, uh, the Torah, all that. Tell us about theater and its place within those worlds. I mean, mm. you, have you studied that? Like, sure. How, how uh, theater has lent itself to religion and vice versa? Yeah. Well, I think if, I mean, so much of the history, a lot of the history of theater is tied pretty, pretty closely with religion, right? So, so much of, um, so much of art, religious, uh, so much of art, paintings, music, they are religious in nature or they, they had a religious background or they were commissioned by the Pope or the larger Christian church or, or something like that. Right. So there is this kind of weaving between them. Right. Um, there was a time in, you know, in, in history when actors were shunned by the church, by the, by the Catholic church, they were excommunicated. They weren't given proper burials. They were seen as outsiders. And yet there was also a season in the, in the medieval, um, in the medieval era where the, some of the biggest plays were these mystery plays, right? So for an illiterate, a uh, group of people who couldn't read the Bible or didn't, there weren't Bibles uh, or there wasn't a printing press back then that stories um, of religious stories were told through theater and through plays and through art and stained glass. And so, so much of, so much of the, the artists were, or so much of the religious world was shared through the arts. Um, and you see this too with philosophy, right? Like ancient Grecian, um, philosophy as well as plays. I mean, they, they, they were, they, they were combined in this. Um, I think unfortunately there's like some really, I mean, I would much rather have religious people just make some real good art rather than trying to make like this mediocre half-assed religious art that has white Jesus and is in the church, right? Like it's, um, that stuff gives me hives, uh, right? So like make great art. Don't make art just for churchy people. Like that's, it, it won't work. Um, but make great art that, that does something greater that evokes emotion that yes, entertains and allows people to escape, but also draws them into something deeper and larger than, um, the story in which they're a part of. So so yeah, so there's a there's a lot of connection there, um, and yeah, yeah. Is there a famous uh, piece of art that you feel is the most true to how you believe religion was? I'm just going to say oh. back then, <laughs> like you were talking about white Jesus and and this this mis misinterpretation of yeah. of that. Is there is there a piece of art that really gets it right in your opinion. Hmm. That's a good point. I, I do not know. Um, you know, I think, I mean, more recently, I just got a book of, um, Thich Nhat Hanh's calligraphy and Thich Nhat Hanh is a Zen master Buddhist, uh, Buddhist priest who started Plum Village, um, in, in South of France. And he does calligraphy and some of his, um, calligraphy is so simple um just circles with words um and you know one that i can think of um that has really resonated with me and i don't think this summarizes all of religion um but inside the circle it says breathe it'll be okay um and i read that i, I flipped through it the other day on a break from work and that had 
it kind of like welled up some tears in my eyes, right? When we're living through a pandemic, when things are overwhelming, when we thought we would be through this by now, and it just seems to keep getting worse. Um, just that reminder of breathing, right? Like centering yourself. Um, and what I think is really cool about breathing, and this has nothing to do with theater, um, but in so many religious traditions, the breath is such an anchoring thing um, in the, in the, well, in the Jewish tradition, right? The, 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 the breath um, is the same word as spirit. So kind of this idea of the divine hovering over creation in, in some of these ancient stories is the same word as breath. And so there's this idea of when you breathe, you actually are as close to the divine as your breath. Um, some even say um, that the name of the divine in some traditions is the sound of breath. Um, and so there's this idea of when we breathe, which is right in all meditative practices, therapy, counseling, right? Like they teach you center yourselves, take some deep breaths. It actually physiologically works in your nerves. And, you know, there's all the scientific evidence for it, but there's also the spiritual evidence that it, that it somehow connects you to something greater than yourself. So, um, and yet what I love even about breath, this is crazy too. I heard this on another podcast. I, I forget the name of it, the name of the gentleman, but they found studies that like when a choir or an ensemble sings together, they sync their breathing. And as they sing the song, their heartbeats actually sync together. So, I mean, to me, that's mind blowing, right? So there's this power behind the breath that it connects us on like maybe some spiritual sacred level, it centers ourselves, calms anxiety, and yet it also can make my heartbeat completely get in sync with yours as we're singing the same song. That, I mean, that's just like, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and I think that is part of, I think, why in itself, right? We can say that theater is such this beautiful expression, right? Because as we are, I mean, I'm a musical theater guy. So like singing on stage with a bunch of other people belting away, you're in harmonies. There's something that connects that cast together. And so maybe it is something spiritual, but maybe it's physiological or maybe it's just in the moment we're all doing what we love to do. Um, that has a profound impact on our, the cast, the community, the audience. Um, there's something, something profound and something beautiful about that. I totally hear you. Um, I've often said this. I, I, I play the E-flat euphonium slash baritone. I don't know if you know what it is, slash baritone horn, but it's like you've seen a concert tuba, right? Yes, like the, the smaller one. one. Yeah, they're, they're, they, wrote wrapper, they don't wrap around your body. You hold mm -hmm. it on your knee, and then it's the big belt. Well, it is. It's like a mini concert tuba. And I, while I don't play it as much anymore... I do recall being in orchestras and when it was all clicking and we were, we were good and we were rehearsed and we were experiencing the ebbs and flows of the music. I remember it was, for me, it felt quite spiritual. Like yeah. it, it was, it was amazing. And um, I, I miss that feeling a little bit. Um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you're speaking on that because I feel like when it comes to uh, the church and art, it's uh, the, the vast majority of it is 
it's painting, it's, it's a uh, statuary, it's a uh, sculpture. And, and um, I, I think maybe that's because once that's up, it's up all the time and you can see it whenever, but when you're yeah. involving humans, there's scheduling that has to be done um, even way back then. Uh, it's, I mean, I love art. I, one of my favorite trips ever was uh, David and I went with his sister and brother-in-law for about three and a half weeks to Europe. I've been to Europe many times in London, but when we went to the Vatican, um, I just remember like thinking, wow, this is, this is great. Um, But I, I didn't hear much music Mm -hmm. um, and, and it just felt I don't know. I felt like even though I would never really do this in real life, I probably should have attended like a service or something like that just to just to feel the the energy that's bouncing off everyone in the room. Is that something that like when you're when you're giving a sermon, do you do you aspire to lift people like that and if so, how do you how do you do it or does it just happen? Talk to us about that. Sure. Um you know, I think um, my philosophy on sermons and, and preaching is it's an art form. Um, and there's something about words and the written word and the spoken word that can draw you in. Um, and I like so much of the acting world, you take words that are printed black on a, on a white piece of paper and you bring emotion and story behind those words. And there's something about that when you can give the same speech a hundred times um, and one of those times just overwhelms you, right? It's a monologue. I, I had an example of that when I was doing a Shakespeare show. Um, one of the characters or one of the actresses did this monologue and she broke down crying in it. And she had never done that before in rehearsal. The director stopped it, stopped the scene, kind of went up to her and said, are you okay? And, um, she, and she never did that in a performance. Uh, you know, it was like this beautiful moment just for us in attendance. Um, that just, just the cast that we saw such real emotion from her performance. Um, and it never happened again, but we knew that it did. So that monologue was always sacred. So I, you know, I think sermons, unfortunately, there's some people, um, some people are just not good at giving sermons, which is fine. Um, some people don't have the time to do it. There's other responsibilities many ministers have. Um, you can't give it hours to craft something. Um, but I do think there is something that um, can draw people in. And I think if a sermon doesn't announce good news, if a sermon doesn't announce, um, you know, an inclusive and expansive divine love, um, if a sermon is ever... Um, casting judgment and calling out and, and harmful and toxic to me, that's, that's not a, that's not a sermon. Um, that's not an art form. Um, that's just harmful. Um, and I, you know, I would say there's a lot of churches that are doing that. Uh, and I, I've seen them and heard those sermons. Um, and there probably was a time way back when, um, when I even shared some of those sermons, right? Like copied and pasted what other pastors would say, um, and say those things as well. Um, but if, if there's not a, if there's not a, a message of hope, um, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's a, a sermon we need to hear. Um, cause I tell you what, most days I, 
especially the last couple of years, I I need hope like every single day. I need moments of joy. I need hope because messages of anxiety and danger and the harm and just climate change and destruction and war and violence and systems of oppression and white supremacy, like that stuff weighs heavy on me. So if I'm not hearing something hopeful, <laughs> you know, um, I, you got to hear that in a sermon. And, you know, that's also another beautiful thing about theater, right? Like the great golden age of musical theater, right? Was escapism, right? Like life sucked. So you'd go to the theater and you would get a glimpse of these characters who were singing and dancing and, you know, just for a little while, you would escape for a little bit. Um, and in some ways, I think spirituality allows us to escape for a little bit. Uh, meditation allows us to do that. And the arts allow us to do that and kind of encourage us to say, all right, go keep living. Go back. You've got this. Um, things will get tough. So come back in a week and we'll perform again or we'll do another show. Um, you'll, you'll make it through. I love that you're totally keeping me on track with combining <laughs> both of the subject matters of, of, of religion and theater. I was, I promise I was going to get there. Even. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. No worries. <laughs> Do you think that we were just going to talk about Oklahoma and carousel and I'm, I'd be fine with that too. And the music man. <laughs> Well, then let's do that. Um, what is your personal favorite type of theater? Musicals, plays, one-person shows? What, what's your preference? Sure. Uh, I'm probably I'm more of a musical person. I love, well, I love all of it. I mean, I think musicals are great. I, you know, I think one of the best things about being an actor was I view theater so much differently than, like, my spouse or some of my family members, right? Like, I, I, I'm trained to watch the lighting, and the set pieces. And, um, I always watch that one ensemble member, like from the opening number, I find someone and then I watch that individual, the whole show, um, which is kind of creepy, but I also love it. Um, so yeah, so I love musicals. I love, um, any story that, well, I think any story that can draw you into something larger, any story that speaks out against systems of oppression or, um, systems of harm. I, I think that's the beauty of, of theater. I, you know, for me getting to perform the full Monty doing some way back in the day, I did some theme park work. All that is so fun. Um, let's see. I think one of my, one of my favorite plays I ever saw was at the Goodman theater in Chicago and it was of King Lear. And they had this moment in, um, in the show where, and I think it was around, um, let's see, what year was that? We were at war, um, and we still are. So, um, but they did this scene where they brought, there was a bunch of bombs that went off in the, in, and obviously there was a war going on and a bunch of nurses started just taking bodies in body bags and dropping them into this pit in the center of the stage. And it, you know, there was no, there was no, it was completely silent. And it started with one or two bodies and then it kept going and going and going. And I think there was close to like 50 or 60 bodies that they would bring into this pit that fell in, you know, in the center of the stage and they dropped them in there and it was completely silent. And it was the the most profound anti-war message I've ever seen, right? Because we were forced to reckon with our bombs, especially American, right, is doing so much damage to the lives of others. And we witnessed it in, in the theater. So that, I think, was a profound um, 
a profound piece. I love, um, I love Hamilton. I mean, I've seen that a handful of times. I have some friends that performed in that. So I'm a sucker for that show. I've been, I drank the Kool-Aid and I love it. Um, and sometimes I think in Hamilton lyrics, right? Um, one man show is actually, um, Hassan Minhaj. He has this great, um, one man show comedy stand up routine called Homecoming King that I just think is, is artistically beautiful. Um, I think he's hilarious, but also, uh, you know, what I love about comedy and what I love about standup and and artists in general is the the social commentary. So his social commentary on race, um, and just our culture, um, is great. Um, yeah, I love it all. I really do. Um, I love the Goodman theater. Yeah. I, I've seen quite a bit there and I've seen Hamilton as well. Uh, the first time that we saw it here was in previews, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't get it. I I did not connect with it. For I connected a lot with the 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 women, and I think that's intentional. I think the women are the heart of that story. The, the yeah. spoilers, um, and but it's super. Sometimes if I don't get a show, I'll go back and see what I didn't get and resee it. And yeah. uh, I was so grateful to Chicago because. It would cost uh, the Franklin Mint to go back and see yes. Hamilton here as many times as I had with opportunities <laughs> in Chicago because I do a lot of work in Chicago. Yeah, um, and uh, so I I'm, I hear you. I'm, I'm finally sort of getting it a little bit. Maybe it's my age because I'm like almost sixty years old. So it's like, <laughs> what are they saying in these? I can't understand mm. them. But I'm I'm the type though that I. I hate fads. Like I don't want to get on that train. So I remember when rent came out and all my friends in high school and college were goo goo gaga for rent. I lived in London and everyone went and saw rent there. And I was like, no, that show is stupid. Like I was adamant that it was the dumbest show ever. Um, I didn't want to go see it. And then I finally went and saw it and I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is pretty good. Um, this is like, this is going to change musical theater. Okay. Um, and I was a little that way with Hamilton too. Like, my friends and some of my family were, you know, singing the lyrics. And I was like, no, nope, I'm not going to get on this. I'm not going to get on it. Nope, not going to do it. And then I saw it. I was like, okay, this is, this is a brilliant, brilliant piece of theater. Um, so, yeah, I, I resonate with that. <laughs> we must be twinning because I felt the same way about Rent as well. I just remember thinking, oh, my God, it's, such, it's, it's too much pressure for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my, I have, what do I have to like it? Yeah. And, uh, so I ignored it. And about, I don't know, eight years into it, I picked up, um, the first, the, I want to call it the greatest hits of Rent, but it was like their top songs. Yes. And then I picked up the full, uh, cast recording and I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, this is so wonderful. What have I been missing all this but, time? Right. And I'm, I'm in my car crying driving to my job at the time, you know, yep. Yep. but you know, that's, that is actually my very, very favorite theater experience. Is it ever? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I do, I, I do love seeing a uh, theater in Chicago. Uh, I think Chicago is an incredible uh, incubator for theater yeah. Um, it's one of those places where you, you can go and see new works and you can develop new works there um, without them getting too destroyed by critics. 
um, that's where um, David and my play started out. We won a okay. We won uh, the Great Gay Play and Musical Award from Pride Films and Plays in 2012, and performed it there for the first time. Wow! Um, now you went to graduate school in Chicago, right? Yeah, I grew up outside of Chicago, um, so I know that. I mean, that that city's my my love and joy. But that, yeah, I did go to grad school and lived in the city for a while. Um, never performed. Well, I did some, I did some readings and, um, but I, most of my performing was regional. Yeah. So you talk Chicago and you're talking my love language. I mean, let's go. My favorite city by far. I, I love Chicago and I, I, I miss it. I haven't been able to go for a year and a half. I, I, I write musicals and my, my musical collaborator lives there. And, um, I think it's just, it, it's a great city. It really is. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think when people see Chicago, they think just all the tall buildings downtown, but it is also a city of suburbs as well. Yep. Yeah. They're beautiful. And I mean, they, they really show the fall. Well, it's true. It, yeah. It's, it's just gorgeous. And they, they do have some great theater. Um, I'm hoping that they're rebuilding. Okay. Out there, uh, with theater, um, but but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't I, either. I, I you know I should probably reach out to, to do a podcast on that with some of my friends. I've just done so many podcasts out of Chicago because I like it, and I know people. <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows everyone in Chicago. I mean, it's similar to New York, right? I mean, I remember living in New York, and every day I'd bump into someone I knew, and it was like in a city of this many millions of people. Um, how do I do this? Um, but yeah, Chicago's got that. I don't know. There's something about it, that culture, that vibe. That's, that's awesome. I mean, winters are horrendous. I, I wish, I wish, I don't know. I don't know if I'd move to Florida, but the, uh, the winters are not my favorite, but they make the spring and summer and fall more lovely. I love the winter. I love the winter here, but David and I are both from Southern California and moved out here five years ago. So if, if you want it to be sunny and hot 10 months out of the year, then Move to California. I would imagine Florida, Florida is much the same, but yeah. with hurricanes. <laughs> of course, there's this earthquakes. Earthquakes, there. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been through my share of those. Um, what are some of the challenges the theology-based theater companies, ensembles face over, let's say, accrued terminology, which I'm using a lot of, I apologize, um, like general theater companies? Because I have my thoughts on at least one of them. You know, I, I, um, I, I do remember auditioning for one that was overtly a, a Christian theater company back. I think it was probably in college or just out, just out of when I was just out of college. Um, and you know, they did like recreations of Bible stories or something like that. Um, and you know, they were at a big cattle call audition type place and met with the producers and you know, they, they also asked you about your like religion or like your testimony your your, your spiritual story. So in some ways it seemed like, you know, you had to be a certain type of Christian believer or some, you know, you had to fit the boxes. Um, I had never worked for them, but I also was not drawn to that type of work. Um, I think for me, overtly religious, theater companies, it seems as if they have an agenda. 
and, and this is an assumption, right? This isn't all of them. Um, it seems like the agenda is they want you to eventually believe what they believe. And so they're going to create the theater that maybe forces that upon you or pushes that a little in you. Um, and I'm all for theater, like pushing our buttons and making us think about aspects of our lives or culture. I mean, that's what the arts has done forever. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when it, when it becomes a type of evangelistic proselytizing, I, I think that's um, a little unfair um, and you're forcing audience members to be converted or those who don't want religion, you're forcing that upon them. And so I don't actually think that's a, a hospitable way to do theater. Um, there's probably some arguments where there's other theater out there. That's that maybe forces you to think about white supremacy or, or, or um, injustice or climate change in a similar way. So maybe I'm a little more biased, but I think the, the wounds that have been done by, by Christians and, and theater churches and, and religious environments to put that into a, into art, I think is a, is a, a challenge that many will not, many will not listen or hear that, or you'll, you'll get lost. Um, and you'll just get some bad reviews. Um, so it kind of goes back to my point earlier. Like, I'd rather you just make great art. Sure, you're a religious-based artist. Just make great art. Um, don't make it overtly religious. Um, don't make it overtly your belief because not everyone in the audience holds that belief. Um, so I think that, that's probably some of the challenges. Um and, and again, when religious environments are not as inclusive in some capacities, um, I think other co- theater companies and ensembles that are radically inclusive actually are modeling a better way to do religion and art than, than that. What are your thoughts? I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Convince me if I am. Oh, no, I don't think you're wrong. I was just going to say I, I really admire you because it feels like you deal with two different topics that make it like this big. I've got my arms out as far as they'll go. And you're just, you just have to constantly reconcile with, with the two of them to people like you're doing with me now. Mm. That must just, that must just be really like, it must get a little tiresome after a while. So I just, I have to tell you, you know, I, I appreciate it. I really do. Mm. I think that this is, um, wonderful wonderful um uh, this is a wonderful talk telling a lot of people who might not necessarily hear this Mm -hmm. um your side of the story and your point of view and your opinion as someone who's done both and has to constantly reconcile both yeah okay my my theory was was on the next question which is what are some of the advantages and i have a theory on that but if you want to tell me about your advantages i think for me there's only one the advantage of a religious-based theater company, right? Versus versus everyone else. What are the, what is the advantage or advantages that they have? Hmm. Well, they probably could be uh, considered a five hundred one c three or something. Like they could become a religious nonprofit, so maybe they get a tax break. Um, <laughs> that was so not what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm not sure. What's yours? What's your advantage? <laughs> A captured audience. Mm, that's true. Yeah, they're going to draw people that want to see that show. You're right. Yeah, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's a totally captured audience of people yeah. who, who um, it, it fulfills them. Yeah. And that's about all that I could think of. Not that I'm slamming religion. It's just, I'm just, I'm just not religious. Yeah. Um, is that it's, it's there and they're, they're really going to be um, uh, uplifted. They're going to be yeah. edified by it. So that's, I remember doing, I, I performed Godspell in a pretty small town in Southern Illinois. Um, and we had people like church groups sign up, like love that show. Right. Cause it's, you know, basically word for word stories from the Bible. Yeah, um, and then we had a church when I thought I saw oh, it in church. Yeah. And then a bunch of church groups, you know, protested it and wrote horrific letters that it was, I don't even know that it was blasphemous or demonic. And I was just like, y'all like you can't win. What's the deal? Um, Oh, we're just going to, and it was a great show. I mean, I love performing that show. Um, but, um, yeah, you, it's true. Captive audience or a, or maybe a protesting audience. Right. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Um, what are some of the misconceptions that the general theater public have of religion and its place in the arts? Where are they? What are they thinking that's maybe not right or uh, skewed a little bit towards, you know, the negative and yeah, and and wrong. You know, I guess um, perhaps one question is, you know, is could everything be spiritual, right? Like, could it all be connected? Um, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And maybe this isn't just for religious theater troops or ensembles, but just real, uh, the arts and religion in general. Could, could there be, could it be more than what people give, right? Like religion is only in this church building or these types of people. Um, could it, could it be larger? Could all theater be spiritual? Could you find something spiritual in rent? I think so. Um, and Hamilton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, does it speak to, you know, I think religion often um, should speak to our humanity and how we live as full humans, um, as our truest and realest selves. Um, and does art do that as well? You know, does can art and theater speak to who we are supposed to be as fully and true humans? Um, and um, I, I think it often does. And I think, you know, I mean, not only are humans performing it, but um, it is most of the time the story of humans, except cats and maybe a few other shows. Um, but does it speak to that that something sacred in all of us? Um, I'm not sure if that totally answered your question, but until you got me thinking about cats, I was. I apologize. <laughs> No one should be thinking about cats. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I like it. Cats was one of the first shows I saw on on, on Broadway in 1982 for my high school drama trip. Wow. And uh, I think I fell asleep, but that's probably because I just partied way too much. <laughs> but Dave, I took David to see it and the revival over here, and he who previously hated it loves it. I think we have, we still have a show on Broadway Podcast Network um, uh, that's like all about the musical Cats. So, and you know, I don't know what it's called. Again, I'm sorry, 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 cats guys, but um, go find it. Go find it there. It's, it's, I mean, I think a podcast all about cats is a winner. Anyway, that is that's impressive, right? <laughs> um, I but but what I was thinking is maybe everyone just needs to open their mind a little bit more. Mm. I mean, on both sides of the spectrum, you know, and just think that you know, just because this is a religious piece of theater there there could be if you go you might get something good out of it maybe you yeah will. maybe maybe you will and and vice versa that's what you were making me think was like yeah we should be a little more accepting on on either side so i have this right above my desk here i have this little like printout on it says uh every human being is carrying a heavy uh no every human being is carrying a secret and heavy burden and um, I have it just as a reminder that anyone comes into my office, I hope that I can remember that some, somehow that person is carrying something heavy and something secret and probably something that's, that's been exhausting or painful. Um, sure. and I don't view <laughs> like this is, I'm, I, I, I'm quite judgmental at times. I mean, yeah, I'm a minister, but there were times where I'm like, quite judgmental. And like, since the pandemic, I don't trust anyone anymore. Um, and I'll name that, but that allows me to kind of say, all right, every one of us, we're all carrying something heavy. Like, and can that bring some sense of compassion in my life for that other person? And so I'm with you. You know, there, there are religious people, um, that hold very different beliefs than I do. And I would not befriend them. And yet, are they carrying something heavy and secret, a burden on them? Yeah, probably. And would that allow me to see them more as human than like the religious person? Yes. Um, and so I'm with you. Like, yeah, we, especially right in our polarized and just our culture right now, right? So much is polarized and we fight and we're ugly towards one another, but can we be less ugly and more humane by realizing that each of us is, is human. Um, it's a, it's tall order, but, uh, I, I want that for me. Like, I'd love for you to view me as just a human (laughs) than this person or, or that type or this. Um, I need that in my own life. Um, so yeah, I'm with you kind of that viewing, viewing more than what's there. Yeah. I would imagine the title is, uh, it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of people like uh, approaching you with uh, their own misconceptions. And you're just like, you guys, I'm a, I'm a person. And so please view me as that. And, 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 and if someone needs a, a minister, then that will happen. But here we're having dinner right now. So let's talk about like, I don't know. Let's, let's talk about, um, plays and musicals and and that and uh so and and speaking of which what is your favorite play 
Oh, my favorite play. Um, the King Lear that I saw in Chicago is, I wouldn't expect King Lear to be one of my favorites, but that was a pretty profound play. Um, Angels in America is so good. Um, I mean, I've seen that multiple times. It's just classic. I, it's just, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, hmm, are those my top plays? That might, yeah, those might be, I'd say those two are, are in there. Okay. Well, Shakespeare. Yeah. little Shakespeare. Little, little Tony Kushner. Why not? That's right. Why not? They go hand in hand. I, I used to, I went through this big David Mamet phase, like reading all his plays and highlighting them all and wanting to produce them and be in all of them. So I, I, that was, that was a fun season. <laughs> <laughs> And here I was asking you if if I should curtail the foul language. (laughs) No, no, you're good. (laughs) You wanted to produce David Mamet. Yeah, right? (laughs) Hilarious. Um, How about your favorite musical? Tell us that. I love Hamilton. I've always loved the last five years. There's something about that show um, that's just, it's like gut-wrenching to me. Um, Yeah, I've always loved it. Um, musicals that I've been in, uh, you know, I, I got to do Full Monty for a year, so I think that was one of my favorites. I did Godspell. Um, what are some other musicals? What's your very, very, very favorite? My favorite musical or favorite your, role? Your favorite musical. Oh, gosh. Let's switch it up. Okay, this this may be able to hone it down a little bit. Let's do it. What is a role in a musical that you haven't performed? What is that role? It's a, what's your dream role in a musical? A dream role. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, man. Ah, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I always wanted to, so I always wanted to play Curly in Oklahoma, which is such a silly, silly one. Um, it's not even, it's got some great tunes. Um, but I, you know, I love playing, I love playing, like I used to love playing the bad guys and the commute, like one of actually one of my favorite roles was, um, I played Gaston in Beauty and the Beast because, and I loved it because in Act One you're like pretty funny, and in Act Two you're like the bad guy. Um, so I would say any role that allows you to be funny and then the bad guy, I would do in a heartbeat. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting answer. It really is. It's like, I don't. I, I I look at you and I wouldn't think Gaston, but <laughs> I know and that was at a theater that probably was not that great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they they did. But some I'm sure mis- you were great mis- as Gaston. They did some mistype and miscasting there, but you know, it was fun nonetheless. You know, it's it's it is a fun part, and it's it's not easy. You got a solo right in the, you know, uh, in, in, right up in the front, loaded into the that's show true. And, yep. Um, the dance numbers for Gaston, I don't think, are very easy. If they're anything like the the Broadway version, which I saw the t- tour of. Yeah. That was a hard dance. That they there did. are some, there are some, yeah, that's a big one. There's yeah. some, man, I'd have to think more on that. I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure as soon as I get off the call, I'll be like, that's the show. Um, 
I'll have to go home and check all my my scripts and see which one. All right, <laughs> which what what show would be it? So, um, okay. So I'm going to ask this because I'm trying to get sort of a, 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 a trying to gauge where people are with our current crummy situation um, health wise. Um, I just finished doing a series called Act Two Places where I interviewed lots and lots of people about what they were doing during the COVID shutdown, how it affected them, how they were uh, getting back into production and things like that. But I didn't want to completely let that go with this. So I'm going to ask you, um, how have the various University of Lynchburg's performing arts departments dealt with COVID-19? How are they handling it? Sure. So our university has been pretty strict in its in its protocols, so from um, mandating boosters and vaccines for all faculty, staff, and students, to we now have basically a, a we have a mask mandate, and they they prefer that we wear N95s um, unless we are alone, closed door in our office, um, at all places on campus. I, you know, for the performing arts, when it first started, I think well for for students on across campuses. I mean, it was gut-wrenching having to be sent home, um, then do an extended amount of time virtual, then coming back. And, you know, our theater majors, our music majors are, they like, they couldn't rehearse, right? So when we first came back, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, our oboes and our orchestra were, were outside <laughs> rehearsing rather than inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that our choir, when they started, they couldn't sing, they were allowed to sing alone in their dorm room. Um, eventually, they were, when cases got a little better, they were allowed to be together masked, and they were allowed to hum. Mm. Um, and so that's how they did some of their time together. They eventually now have gotten, like, these huge, they look like duckbills, platypuses masks. They're just, like, these massive huge masks um, that they can sing through. Um, And they've done some, that's how they've done their concerts. Um, And it doesn't muffle sound as, as much as you would think. Um, They look hilarious. I mean, (laughs) to see 50 people with these huge black masks that are, you know, six, eight inches off your face, um, hysterical, but you know, I try not to laugh. I listen to the show, you know, listen to their songs and they're great. They're great. Um, for our theater department, I know that they they moved one of their performances outside. So instead of doing it in the theater, they did an outside performance kind of on our quad. Um, and they set up kind of almost in some ways like kind of like ancient mystery plays where they would have like different scenes on different parts of campus. Um, and they've been able to, you know, they've been able to have a little more performances inside Um Come this semester, you know, with the with this new variant, we're kind of up in the air. We don't start classes yet, so maybe by the time maybe the wave will dip, um, or it'll you know go crest a little bit when by the time our students get back in another week and a half or so. Um, but there might be some restrictions again that they all face. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I I feel really fortunate. We have. Uh, our president is a scientist. Um, our provost is a scientist. I mean, we're following the science. We're, we have other institutions across town um, and in the area that don't have mask mandates or vaccine mandates. And, um, you know, we've seen 
cases skyrocket and we've had very few. Um, we'll probably get quite a bit this semester as it seems it's going around all over, but, um, um, yeah, it's, it's constantly, it's improv right now, right? Like we evolve and adapt and change and, um, yeah, that's how we, that's how we roll. So. Well, good. Uh, I'm I'm still stuck on the visual of the mask, but I think I know I should go. I should get an image of it. I'll send you. I'll, I'll Google choir masks and and see if I can go on. That is something. I mean, I've interviewed probably fifty people on this this topic, and I've never heard that before. Maybe somebody you know found a niche and is like, okay, I'm I'm going to make this and, and yep. develop it, and good for them. At least you know we're we're figuring out solutions. Until we don't have to anymore, right? And right. You know, we all cross our fingers, and you know, a good majority of us pray for the day when we don't need that anymore. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's very, very profoundly weird, and yeah. just to think, you know, I just to think about like, like every once in a while, I'll be watching a TV show or something. I'll be like, remember when we used to be able to walk around like that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh... Wah, wah. All right. Um, before we go, because sure. we need to wrap up, uh, please give our audience your social media information so they can keep up with you and your many endeavors. I know you have a very, very thorough website. I do. Yeah. So you can, uh, that's probably the easiest way is NathanAlbert.com. Um, that's where I have a podcast as well. So you can check that out on the, on that. Um, I have a book from a long time ago. Um, and then on social media, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um, those are kind of my favorite. So Nathan Albert on Twitter and then N Albert on Instagram. But again, all that's on my on my website, NathanAlbert.com. Very, very cool. Reverend Nathan Albert, this has been such a great conversation. I have learned so much and uh, you have you have taught me and by extension, lots and lots of people um, so much about uh, uh, religion and its place in theater and vice versa. And I, um, I want to thank you like from the bottom of my heart for making time to do this and to, uh, to open our minds and allow this to be, I think this is just a really good way to understand how theater is for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and you're telling us how it can be and, uh, the, how we can eliminate all the boundaries and the barriers. And, um, I, I think a lot of people, I know I needed to hear it. And I think a lot of other people need to hear it as well. And, um, y you've been tremendous and I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you. I, you know, having to, you got me, talking about theater and spirituality, two things I love. So, I mean, we could, I could do this the rest of the afternoon, go get a cup of coffee and keep going. So anytime, anytime I'd be more than willing to talk more. Okay. Uh, again, uh, I, I wish you many broken legs um, in the ministry department as well as maybe eventually the theater department. Maybe. When, yeah. When, it, when it's in your blood, it never goes away. I know it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. I can That's tell right. you've, got, you've got grease paint in your veins for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> again, thank you very much and have a great day. And um, this has been great. Thanks, Sean. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. 
Once again, a big thanks to Reverend Nathan Albert. What a great conversation we had. You can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Your Program Is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at facebook.com, Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at at Program Ticket, Instagram at Your Program Is Your Ticket, YouTube at Your Program Is Your Ticket, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. It's the fastest way you can help them. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, theater is for everyone. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.